0: Welcome to our verse-by-verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our savior king more clearly and through his gospel learn to live well in his, in Christ kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew and let's learn about our savior king and his kingdom. Open your Bible. Matthew chapter three as we continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew, a series I've entitled The King and His Kingdom. You know, as believers, we have to decide at some point in our walk, our faith walk, how real God is. That there's a point when you when you when you come to faith you you have to make a decision is god real or not and if he is how real is he how true is god's word it will determine how we live this thing we call christianity how we live the christian life how we walk in our faith you know, it's one thing to say Jesus loves me or the Bible is God's word, it is true, or to confess that Jesus died for my sins. But at some point, that's gotta be real. We can't just say the words. And, there's, and, it, and it comes with a cost. It comes with at some point, that decision must be proven true in your life. How real is God? How real is he in our lives? How true is his word? Now, I'm preaching to the choir here, I know. And so I know that you know the answer to that. And they're not just esoteric questions that we, that we mull over as we're looking at the sunset or sipping a, you know, a, a, you know, our tea in the morning or whatever it is that we're doing. The answer to these questions about how real God is, how true his word is, will determine the path of your life. And it may determine your eternity. And it might determine the eternity of others. Now, I'm guessing that some of you came here thinking, man, I'm, I'm really hoping for a nice, light, cheery message today. Right? Yeah. You know, when you teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you know, you don't get to pick the topics. God does, the text does. And we as a church believe that when it comes up in the text, you teach it. Doesn't matter what it is. And, and David has already talked about part of the message, we're gonna talk about the baptism of Jesus, but there's something else in there that we need to, that we can't overlook. Today's topic is often misunderstood and sadly undertaught in many churches. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit in prayer to make us willing to listen. And I'm not talking just to the people on YouTube, so know that. We all need to be willing to listen. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for this time. I ask Lord for our willing, open, desiring hearts that we would. We would be willing to hear what your Holy Spirit would say to us, that be willing not only to hear it, but to obey it and to make it a part of who we are. We give this time to you. We thank you for it. I thank you, Lord God, that while we were kind of scrambling around this morning to deal with the issue of of live streaming, that, Lord, that you preceded us and, and just made it happen. And so I pray that there's, a, that, that everybody that, that had a desire to watch this morning, to be present with us online, is there. And that, Lord God, that your message would go out to everyone who needs to hear it. And we lift it up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So last time we looked at the uh, visit of the mysterious wise men from the east. And after their visit, Joseph is warned to, in a dream, to take his family down to Egypt because Herod wants to kill Jesus, the, the, the newborn king of the Jews, and so they end up down there, and, and then after Herod dies, uh, the Lord speaks to Joseph again and tells him to go back, and they end up in Nazareth, and, and the, in between chapters 2 and 3, about, you know, something more than 25 years passes, and so we'll pick it up here in the beginning of chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John, we're introduced to him here in the text, is, um, is the, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth is related to Mary, Jesus' mother, Jesus yes Jesus mother sorry getting all my genealogy mixed up here in my head so John and Jesus are related they're cousins of some sort some degree and and he comes with a very simple but strong message one word repent and and it was it was done in the wilderness by the Jordan river And he's a very peculiar kind of a guy. We'll get to him a little bit later. But his message is about repentance. Repentance is something that everyone needs, but few people want to talk about. Some churches even avoid it altogether because they're concerned that it'll make someone uncomfortable. Well, here's the news. Here's the fact. It should make you uncomfortable, but it's a good discomfort. Here's a definition of the word repent. To have a change of self, heart, and mind that abandons former dispositions and results in a new self, new behavior, and regret over former behavior and dispositions. There's a lot wrapped up in that. We're not going to spend a lot of time unpacking that, but I would encourage you to spend some time with it. True repentance involves change. That if there's no change, there probably isn't true repentance. They must understand, for someone to repent, they must understand that there is a need to change. That something is this way, and it should be that way, and so they decide there's something needs to change. It carries the idea of turning away from one thing and turning toward another. And with the idea of not turning back to the former. Now, people who are sensitive to God... What that means is turning away from self and sin, self and sin, or self or sin, depending on how you want to define that, and turning toward God and his grace. That's what repenting is, that, that I'm focused on something over here, and it's, it's wrapped up in me, it's wrapped up in my, it's at ma- wrapped up in I, and, and ultimately it's not what God wants, and I, I choose to turn away from that to God and to his grace. I make a choice. I know this is not where I'm supposed to be. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is how I'm supposed to think. I'm not supposed to think. I'm supposed to think this way. We understand it. We make a choice to do it. Now, we might be tempted to think that this is a message for the lost. Repentance is for the lost. Who was John talking to? He was talking to Jews. He was talking... He was preaching at the people who believed God. They believed something about God. They may not have believed him the way that they were supposed to, obviously, because he was telling them to repent, right? Something was wrong with what they were believing. But they knew something about God. Repentance is not just for people who are far from God. It's also for people who should be closer to God. Who would that be? Raise your hand. They would be you. Every single one of us ought to, could be closer, should be closer to God. We're never done turning to God. In five of the seven letters to the churches in Revelation chapter two, Revelation chapter two and three. Can't believe I pluralized that. They were called to repent. Five out of the seven. This message is for the church. When we understand what repentance is and what it means to us, what it is about, why we benefit from repentance, we become less uncomfortable with it. Matter of fact, ultimately we ought to get very comfortable with the idea of repentance. I've said it, you've heard me say it before, if you've been around for a long time, I think it's the greatest gift that God gave to the church is the fact that we can repent. You know that's what Jesus came for. He came so that we can find God, that we can turn away from whatever life we're living to God. Without and, G, and the reason why we can is because Jesus stands in the middle. Jesus came, died so that we could turn away from whatever life we were living, we could turn to God, to his grace, to his mercy, to his love. That without Christ that's not possible. And the, and the process that we use to get there is repentance. We ought to praise him for that, thank him for that, rejoice when he brings to mind those things that help us to get there. I have always been a mediocre golfer. That's just the reality of what I am. I, I, I enjoy the game but I'm not that great at it. When I play, I almost always play with someone better than me, and sometimes much better than me. Thinking of Isaac right now. When one of those much better players suggests how I can improve, I have two choices. I can say to them, I'm okay being a mediocre golfer. Leave me alone, right? Or I can take what they're suggesting and maybe improve my game. if If I want to be a better golfer, I must repent of my old way, my wrong way, and turn toward, turning away from that way, turn toward this way, the right way, and do the right thing. In golf, my goal is to hit the ball farther and more accurately. That's my goal. My goal is to finish a round of golf with the lowest score possible. That's how the, the game is played. As a Christian, my goal is to be like Christ in every area, every possible way in my life. That means I need to figure out, find those areas of my life where I'm not like him or I'm not like him enough. You know, golf, you know, if you've never played, you know, it's a ball, it's a club, you got green things, you got a hole someplace, got to find the hole, get the ball in the hole, you're good. You swing the ball, swing the club, and it's all good. <laughs> there is so much wrapped up in it. How you hold the club, how you stand, how you swing. I mean, there's just like, it's, it's endless. You, get, you work on one thing, and then before long you figure, okay, that's working, but everything else is not working, and I've got to adjust, I've, I've adjusted this, but now I have to adjust this because I adjusted that for crying out loud, I'm going to go back to watching golf on TV. <laughs> but the benefit, and you know, we always have to step back and say, why am I even bothering with this? If, if I am going to play this game, golf, I, I, I want to play it as well as I possibly can. And so I want to get better at it. Because I just... You know, that's just my desire. What is my benefit to, to being a better Christian, to being a better Christian man, husband, father, pastor? Well, the benefit is simply I experience more of God's grace. I get more God. The better I walk this thing I call Christianity, the more God I get out of the deal. Here's the thing that very many th- these things that we do these self-oriented th- things that we do these, these things that ultimately that God would define as sin though they they're not they may not be big ugly gnarly sins but they're still sin of some kind or self-oriented or selfish or whatever they might be these things are preventing me from experiencing God's grace they're they're hurting my game And I'm swinging and missing. I'm swinging and, you know, and hooking and slicing and whatever else I might be in my faith. I'm not experiencing God's grace here. And God says, turn away from that. Repent. Just turn from this to that and experience more of God's grace. When people say, but but, yeah, but I have to give up something. Oh, here's the thing. You know, I have to give up money. I have to give up pleasure. I have to give up blah, 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 blah. Here's the deal. Without God's grace, none of those things will satisfy you. But with God's grace, you can have all of it. You can have money with God's grace, and you'll love it, and it'll be good. You can have, you can have position. You can have fame. You can have all those things. But it must be in God's grace that you do that. If you're focused on that thing, fame or fortune or whatever over here, it will never satisfy. But if you focus on God and his grace, walking in faith and obedience to to Christ and God blesses you with those things, it'll be good. It'll be great and God will use it for his glory and use it to, to, to bless others. But if your focus is over here, and he would say, don't, don't worry about turning away from this thing that you desire so much. Focus on me. Turn to me. Let me be your reason. And I will give you the desires of your heart, he would say to us. Yeah, this message, a message of repentance, that's a message for the lost, absolutely. But the church might need it more. The church might need the message of repentance even more than the lost. Because if the church doesn't get it, the lost will never hear it. If we want to reach the lost for Jesus Christ, we must be a repenting people, a people that desires God's presence, God's will, God's heart obedience to God's word in absolute faith in the name of Jesus Christ. And if we're not doing that, turning away from anything that might hinder that message, the lost will never hear the message. Yeah, they need to hear it. But they need to hear it from a church that repents regularly, believes in repentance, loves repentance, preaches repentance, and is actively turning away from anything that stands in the way of that message. Matthew is saying, or communicating that John is saying that the reason why this message is so important is that the kingdom of God is at hand. And by that means, you know, and, and when John was saying is that means it's coming soon and reality was already there because Jesus was there. When the king showed up, the kingdom is there. Same thing is true in each one of our hearts. When we allow Christ in, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's in us and operates through us. John is an interesting character. You know, there's not a lot of things that tell us about people in advance of their birth, but here's one. You know, John was prophesied 700 years before he was born. We talk about that here in verse 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. The quote there is from Isaiah 40, verse 3. I mean, John is, he's, he was not what you would expect to be the, the one who would, you know, usher in the Savior of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's a lot of similarity between him and the prophet Elisha in the Old Testament. The way he was dressed, his food, I mean, just everything about, about John is very similar to Elisha. And it was interesting too because there was a common belief that was going around at the time of Christ that Elisha would come and would, would come prior to the arrival of the Messiah. So they, they were expecting this prophet to rise up, this Elisha to come again and to usher in the time of the Messiah. Jesus confirmed that belief in Mark 9, 11 through 13. They asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say, Elijah must come first? Then he answered, this would be Christ, and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. Restores all things was his message of repentance. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elisha has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished as it is written of him. Well, okay, how does that point to John? Well, we go back to chapter uh, Matthew 11:13 says this, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to receive it, he is elijah who is to come elijah elisha were there two prophets and they're describing them um, as as the prophet one of these prophets who were to come and to prophesy of the messiah so john's message is simple but strong repent speaking to the people of israel to the jews to god's people The message of repentance is for God's people. And they come here to this place, verse five. Then Jerusalem, all Judea. I mean, John draws this amazing crowd. He's got an awesome ministry, even without YouTube. And all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, now, anybody, some of you have been to Israel, right? And you've seen the Jordan River. It's a beautiful river, clear, sparkling water. And, you know, right? No, no, that's not it. The Jordan River is muddy. It's, 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 not, a, it's not a beautiful river. And they and they're come out to this muddy river to a man dressed in a camel hair coat. It's not, it's not like when it sounds, it's not like some exotic thing. It was like rough and, you know, weird looking. And, and he, they come out to him and his message is, hey, repent, sinners. And they come out to him in droves. When God's spirit is working, you don't need big buildings, you don't need YouTube, you don't need, you don't need modern music, you don't need charismatic speakers, all you need is God's people. All you need is people who need God, that's all you need. Starting with the guy standing up in front. You, you start with a guy who needs God, you start with a person who needs God, with a message to people who need God, and God's spirit does all the rest. And they came, it says, confessing their sins. That's amazing to me. Out in the middle of the wilderness, they come to confess their sins to this weird dude standing by the muddy Jordan River. Confession is a necessary component of repentance. True confession is admitting to God what he already knows. Telling God that you know what the truth is about you. That's all confession is. God, you already know this about me, but this is what's true about me. And I agree, it's true. The Bible says something very powerful to us about confession. It's another one of these things that we get kind of weird about repentance and confession, like it's a, it's a horrible thing, man, you must be a real sinner if you need to repent. No, you're just an everyday sinner, just like the rest of us. When we confess, God does something miraculous. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if, notice, that's a conditional statement, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, 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 to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know know what that means? That means anything that's standing between you and God is erased. Anything that prevents you from running into his arms any time you need him is taken away. Any hindrance between you and God is washed away if you just confess just tell god what he already knows and he just wipes it all away what does he wipe away everything everything oh, is there something i can't confess to god no what you, you don't know how bad it is pastor i don't need to know how bad it is god already knows and he's willing to forgive you of everything as long as you agree with him that it's wrong. As long as you agree with him that it's sin, he will forgive you. But, but, but I've done it so many times. Are you gonna repent? Are you gonna turn away from it with the intention of never going back to it again even though you might still go back to it? He'll forgive you. How many times will he forgive you? Every last time. Every time. Every time. This is the last time, pastor. This is the last time, God. He'll snicker and then forgive you. Right? Do you believe it? You've got to believe it because we get so weird about stuff like this. I, I, I'm going to hide it from God. Yeah, he's laughing at that too. You know, maybe, if I, maybe I don't think about it. Maybe, maybe it'll just go away. No, it won't. Just confess it. He's waiting to forgive you, to cleanse you. Otherwise, you understand what it means if you don't confess it? Do you know what you are? Dirty, filthy, nasty, corrupted, corroded. Pick a term that's ugly and nasty. But you're going to be clean. Just confess it. So here John is, in his camel hair, three-piece suit, by the muddy Jordan River, preaching his warm and fuzzy repentance message. People are showing up from all of Judea and Jerusalem, and he knows, he knows, he's a prophet. He knows some of those people are not sincere. They're not real. And so he calls them out, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers. Ooh, man, I'm sure that would get a a strike. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In it, his winning... His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. We're not really told why the Pharisees and Sadducees are there. We can make some assumptions. We're not told why but, but through the spirit of God John knows that whatever their motivation is not sincere. They are not there to truly repent of their sins. I'm guessing most of them didn't believe they were sinners. Many, it was very common, probably still common with some today, they presumed that Abraham's favor with God transferred to them. Because Abraham found favor with God and because I am one of Abraham's descendants, one of God's chosen people, I have the same favor with God. I don't need to worry about my sin. I don't need to worry about about what I do, what I think, what I say because I am one of the chosen people. I have God's favor. He is not gonna do anything to me. It weirds me out that they even believe that because I've read their history. And they've, they've done that, and God has dealt with them a number of times. But they presumed something about God. Christians who make a very similar mistake. We can presume upon Christ's sacrifice. We do it when, you know, some will do it, you know, the same concept, you know, my parents or grandparents or great-aunt Beulah you know, was a believer, so somehow I'm, you know, that transfers to me and I'm saved. In certain parts of the world, like Indonesia, it's, you know, it's a generational thing. You know, that, you know, you know when I was born, they, they labeled me as a Christian, so I'm a Christian. The Christian sometimes will presume that having once repented or once confessed that they're okay with God, and it doesn't matter what they do after that. They're presuming upon the sacrifice of Christ. It's one thing to presume upon God's favor over Abraham, but to presume on the sacrifice of Christ anything, that's, that's pretty bad. And he says to them, Bear fruits worthy of repentance. That's an interesting phrase. And the idea is, if you have repented, do the things that a repentant person would do. Do what you ought to be doing. You know, instead of acting religious, instead of, you know, going through the religious motions of being a believer, actually be one. Actually do what God says. Do those things that are worthy of someone who has been saved if we've truly repented, and the Holy Spirit, which, which when we repent and the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, the Bible says that happens instantly upon us, repenting and turning to God the very first time, Holy Spirit takes up residence, from then, there ought to be something evident in our lives that proves it. We call it fruit. Just like a tree, when a tree is healthy, it, it will bear fruit, good fruit, good fruit. The Bible even gives us a description of what that fruit looks like in Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that if we, are, if we truly have repented of our sins, these are the things that are naturally gonna grow out of our lives. They're naturally gonna be produced in our lives. I don't have to think about p- being at peace. I, I, if I've repented, peace just comes Growing out of me. Same thing as self-control. Ooh, that's a hard one. Why is that one at the end? That one ought to be at the front, right? Because it's so easy. I, I mean, Miles, you got it. All, you got it nailed, right? Self-control is the easy one. No, it's not. But if we truly repent. We truly seek God. I, God, I want to do this right. I want to I be the best Christian I can be. And so you show me what it is. I see it. I turn from it. These kinds of things ought to be evident in us. And if we're looking at our lives, if somebody else can look at our lives and say, you know what, you're not kind. We ought to ask ourselves a question. Wait a minute. Is there something I need to be repenting of? And we ought, to be, we ought to be chasing God for the answer and not giving up until we find an answer to that. Because if kindness isn't just naturally coming out of us, we can't say that we are living like Christ. John is having this radical success in his ministry. And he realizes, God tells him, God is obviously speaking to him. He knows that, that these people that are coming, many of them are not sincere, and so he calls them out. He also knows something else. He knows someone else is coming. So I have a ministry, but someone else is coming. And he says, that someone is mightier than me. When he comes, when this other person comes, and we'll see him shortly, him being Christ, he's gonna start to separate He's gonna to start to, to, to delineate between those who are his and those who are not. That's the wheat and the chaff. The wheat are those that were his, and they will be, they will be kept and they will be stored away, but those who are not his, something is going to happen. And that, and that is not the pleasant part of the message, because if something's gonna happen is that they will be burned, they will be put into the fire, into the unquenchable fire fire. You know what that means? A fire that never goes out, never stops burning. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but that's referring to hell, in case we're wondering. Eternal separation from God in a place of everlasting torment. It's not what God wants. If God wanted us, if God didn't care, he would not send Jesus. He would not give us the gift of repentance. He would not offer us forgiveness of sins. But he does care, and he doesn't want anyone to experience that eternity. Something interesting happens next, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him, then John allowed Christ. John, Jesus shows up to be baptized. By John, and John says, uh, "No way! <laughs> I need to be baptized by you." John, John, John you know, knew Jesus, knew who, knew who Jesus was. Not only know that who he was as a you know a human, he also knew he you know previously you know pointed to him in a previous gospel and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." He knew exactly who he was. <laughs> I. How can I baptize you? He knew Jesus did not need to be baptized. What kind of baptism was John doing? A baptism of repentance. Everyone was there. Everyone that was coming was baptizing, being baptized to repentance, of repentance. Jesus didn't need to repent. Why? He didn't sin. Jesus was there for a baptism of righteousness. Everyone who came before John, came to John, before Jesus, was coming to be cleansed of their sin and to be made right with God. Jesus came without sin and had always been right with God. Not just then, but for eternity past. His baptism was not to cleanse him, but to prepare him to take on our sin. And then, something radical. Verse 16. When he, Christ, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is one of several times that God speaks audibly And it validates that what Jesus did was perfect and right. In many ways, many of the things that we see God communicating and and things that happen in the life of Christ were to validate the ministry and work that he was accomplishing. Everything that Jesus did was well-pleasing to the Father. Is anybody here that can say that? I'm going to put my hand down. Because we can't do that. We can't say, everything I do pleases the Father. If you can, you need to see Randy because you have a pride problem. As much as you might like to, as much as you might not want to hear it, you are not always well-pleasing to the Father. But if you're here, or you're watching online, then at some level, you desire that. You desire to be well-pleasing to the Father. You may not consciously think about it unless you're antagonistic toward God. At some level, you have some desire to please him. And as our faith grows, so does our desire to please God. It's one of the, it's one of the fruits of of, of, uh, of, of a living, active relationship with God and his word is we have a growing desire to please him. In fact, if, you're, if your desire to please God isn't growing, that's an evidence that your faith is probably not growing either. And we do that because it's the right thing to do. You know, pleasing God is the right thing to do. You know, you, don't, you shouldn't expect anything in response to that. You know, that, that why do I please God? Well, because he made me to do that. You know, I was created for that purpose, to please God. Well, but there is something for us in it. Did you know that? Did you know? It's not just because that's the right thing to do. Hebrews eleven six says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So you need to have faith. Can't please him without it. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So not only should we do it because, and the only reason that we should, you know, the main reason why we do it is because it's the right thing for us to do, but then there's a reward attached to it for doing it. What's the reward? More of God. More of his grace. You know, we might, we might think of rewards as, you know, the, you know, the, the stuff we want, you know, you know, I want more vacation time or I want, you know, I want, I want it stop being 30 degrees outside. You know, whatever, I don't know, to pick something. Something temporal, something financial, something relational. That's what I want as a reward. That's, that's the wrong attitude. Our attitude, I want more of God because without him, none of that other stuff matters and it won't be worth anything. You won't enjoy it. The reward is more of God, more of his grace in all the areas of my life. If I have grace in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my church, in my workplace, in my relationships with others, that's where the joy comes from. That's where I can, I can, I can actually flourish in those things. Even if I had all that stuff, without the grace of God, I wouldn't flourish. You can't without the grace of God. So to get more of God's grace, the simple message and the message that is so important for us as as the people of God, to get more of God's grace, I have to turn away from the things that are preventing me from getting God's grace. I have to repent. I have to turn away from my selfish desires. But to do that, I have to know what my selfish desires are because sometimes I don't know what they are. Some of the things that are in me, I don't even recognize that they're wrong until God reveals it to me somehow, some way. As I have to seek Him, God, show me. David prayed this. Show me my heart, David prayed. Show me what's in there. Show me that whatever wicked way is in there that I ultimately so that I might turn away from it to experience more of you. That's a bold prayer. Show me, God, show me my own wickedness that I might repent. One of the keys to becoming more like Christ is to learn to love repentance. Learn to love it. It still makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable when when God raises up the mirror of his word or something else and shows me something I don't want to see. Still bothers me, should bother us. But I know if I yield myself to God's will, to God, to what he wants to do, something good is gonna come out of it. I may not know what that good is, but I know if I will turn away from whatever he's showing me to him, to his will, to his grace, something good will come out of it. When I swing that golf club and the ball goes somewhere other than where I intended it to go, which unfortunately is more common than not, I know something's not right. It's automatic. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to wonder, oh, what happened? I know exactly what happened. I did something wrong. I may not know what the thing is that I did wrong, but I know something is wrong. Something needs to change. In faith, it's not always that easy. Sometimes we see it. Sometimes we take a swing of faith and it's, it gets messed up really fast, really bad. Other times it's, it's subtle, it's small, it's little incremental things. But we need to always be open to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Something needs to change. doesn't make you wrong. You know, some people hate to be wrong. My stepfather was famous for saying, I may not always be right, but I'm never wrong. I I have news for him. Oh, yes, he was. Not anymore. Repentance is knowing that your life is not going where God wants it to go. Knowing that and then choosing to confess that, to admit that, to agree with God, that's not, that's not what you want. That's not what you intend. And then making the conscious decision and choice to turn away and turn toward. The message of repentance is for everyone because no one is as holy as Christ. No one has the faith as Christ had faith. It's for everyone. Accept that and learn to love it. Learn to love God's love for you that he would show you how you can love him more how you can walk more closely with him so that you can experience more of his grace because it's in his grace that we experience all the goodness of life. If you want to experience good in your life, you need more grace. And you get more grace when you turn away from whatever it is that is preventing you from experiencing it and turning toward God, turning toward his will, turning toward his word, turning toward whatever he's calling you to do. Learn to love repentance, and your life will begin to change. Change for the better. Jesus came. He did everything that we're gonna gonna study through the book of Matthew, and and other texts that we will, will go through, so that you could repent, so that you could turn toward God and forever be changed. so you could experience more of God's grace. You want to love God better? You want to love Jesus more? Repent. Learn to love to repent. Learn to love it when God shows you, that that was a nice swing, but it was messed up. Love Jesus by turning away from yourself, from your sin, and turning toward God and his grace. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. And Lord, as we've we've talked today, Lord, the message of repentance is not just a message for the lost. I believe the church needs to hear it more than anyone else. There may have been times in history where, where the church was, was on fire for you. And when they preached a message of repentance, it was, it, was the, it was the lost who needed to hear it. But I believe today, the church needs to hear it more than anyone else. Lord, we need the fire of the Holy Spirit burning hot within us. But we can't do that if, if our hearts are tangled up in self and sin. And so I pray for your Holy Spirit to move amongst your people. I'm not saying that this group of people who's here or watching online is particularly bad. We're no different than anyone else. And I pray, Holy Spirit, if we need to hear the message of repentance, if we've allowed self or sin to, to to move in, to, to creep in, to, to grow in some way, or we've ignored some area that, that you're trying to, to change in us, that we'd be willing to hear what your Spirit is saying to us, and that we'd be quick to repent. Knowing that through repentance, through confession, that we have the cleansing of all sin and the forgiveness. Of sin that allows us to come into your presence for grace and mercy anytime we need it. To know that we can come into your presence and know your acceptance. I pray, Lord, for this, your people, for, an, for just an outpouring of your spirit, an overflowing of your spirit, both in us and through us, to minister hope and peace and joy through the forgiveness we've received by repentance. I ask, Lord God, for your special touch upon them. We ask you, Lord God, for a reminder of of just all that you've done for us, that we would not forget how gracious you've been to us. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone that needs to hear this message of repentance, that their heart would be wide open to it that they would not allow pride or fear or doubt or any other thing to stand in the way of simply coming to you and, and, and confessing that something's not right. And then give them the courage to turn away from that wrong thing to you and to your grace. Well, we thank you and praise you for all that you are and we pray for your blessing upon all that we do from here. We thank you, Lord God, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you all. We can pray with you. Randy's in the back. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and his kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com slash connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we could be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.